Well, good morning. Just hanging out on my walk. <clears throat> Taking a little break. I'm listening to Harold Bloom's um, Take Arms Against the Sea of Troubles. I think I mentioned that before. It's funny because I didn't know who Harold Bloom was. But when I was young, right, everyone talks about Hamlet. And uh, his, uh, whether it is nobler to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms up against a, a sea, what is it, a, a sea of troubles. I mean, that res it resonated for me. Right? And uh, Harold Bloom actually says that, just like the Druids. Uh, Harold Bloom feels that uh, you only truly integrate things like poetry and literature when you memorize these things. And that's why some of these salient sentences in uh, in our uh, canon, east or west. And so this morning, I'm uh, just listening to some uh, interviews by Harold Bloom because of how how apropos his, uh, his opinions were. He predicted exactly the state of education we're in here now, where we have people with convictions. And as Nietzsche said, convictions worse than lies. But I have a whole list at home of all these things that Harold Bloom agrees with me on. The first is uh, uh, Freud admits that he was influenced uh, by Schopenhauer, but he does not admit he was influenced by Nietzsche, and, and Harold Bloom agrees with me that that's ridiculous because of how intensely influenced he was, as proven by the fact that Jung was in incredibly influenced by Nietzsche. So how could, could uh, Freud not have been? Right? There's a few other things that he agrees with me on, like I said, the education, uh, memory, uh, why this stuff should be, uh, should be memorized. Uh, but then this morning, it's really funny, um, there's some sort of private uh, document trove that, uh, of H.L. Mencken, if you're not familiar with, uh, what is it, Henry Louis Mencken, uh, an early American scholar, journalist, uh, you name it. It's one of these polymaths, I guess you could say, right? Good at a lot of different things. And uh, so I was just going through uh, showing the wife who H.L. Mencken was, right? Because I'm more familiar with H.L. Mencken because of uh, how much he loved Nietzsche. Uh, but then, lo and behold, Mencken actually mentions about uh, being Nietzsche, as does Bloom, which just happens to be the Socratic method, but... The difference seems is their definition of Nietzschean is if you are speaking truth to power, truly, not for, hey, look at me, but if you truly are, as Nietzsche did, you truly are criticizing not just the elite, but as I said, the fact that people are accepting the status quo, the way things are, not the way they should be or the way they could be. If you truly are calling out this sort of hypocrisy, well, they call you a Nietzschean. I've been called a contrarian, but, I mean, how do you understand where you're at? I mean, uh, I consider it sophistry. Sophistry is not uh, the negative that it's been vilified as. Sophistry is a way for you to steel man the other guy's argument to do to really figure out if you're, you're on the right side of, of at least understanding. So... Uh, I just thought it was funny. H.L. Mencken, Harold Bloom, Nietzsche, Socrates, right? But um, 
I mean, like I said, I, I'm finishing up all of Harold Bloom's, uh, what do you call it, um, canon, trying to read as much as I can. Now, that's going to be tough, because, wow. As far as I can tell, he's published over 13, possibly even almost 1,400 uh, different items. <coughs> Either, you know, collaborated or himself has published. Right? And once again, people say how difficult some of this stuff. I, I ran into this just uh, last week. Uh, I heard about Cormac McCarthy because he was influenced by some of the people that I love. And I heard his novel, Blood Meridian, and is, is a real, you know, uh, contemporary masterpiece. So I went and listened to it. I didn't look uh, into it all that much. Didn't read, as I've told you before, I prefer to read something as cold as can be, obviously. I don't read any criticism. I don't read other people's opinions on this stuff. And uh, just as example, um, after I've listened to Blood, Mer Blood Meridian, and that one, um, people are right. I mean, the language is, is such that I actually listened to it on Audible at 1.1 times speed. That's what I told you before. I think is about normal speed for an audiobook. And so, uh, being a 13 plus hour, it's 13 hours, 9 minutes or something like that. Um, I took uh, two, three days to listen to it. And then I, uh, there's a guy I follow who has an Oxford, uh, classical Oxford education. And it's what I've used to gauge my own self-directed um, classical education. But Western and Eastern, that's what I find funny. I was just watching his video again about... Um, uh, designing your own canon, your own uh, your own Oxford education, essentially, and and what I found funny is, sure, I haven't read all of the authors that you know would be suggested, but unlike most of them, the authors that I do love, <laughs> I've read a lot more than just one or two items, right? Conrad, John Dunn, um, Whitman. That's what I'm currently listening to uh, from Harold Bloom. Right? I love Walt Whitman. I love uh, Emerson. Right, but Thoreau gets, you know, the most, um, right, Shelley, I mean, he's cool, but, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes they get more distracted by the language of some of these poets, right, uh, and forget, uh, forget the message. But as far as Bud Meridian, I found out that there was a reading uh, group, and they recommended, like, taking eight weeks to read Blood Meridian. It says read 10 or 20 pages a day, and I'm thinking, who reads only 10 pages a day? I mean, I do now since Booktube, and, and, and well, as Harold Bloom says, there's over 3,000 books in the Western canon, and don't forget how many hundreds in the Eastern canon I've read, and how many hundreds more are left. Um, you can't, as, as Harold Bloom says, you can't... Um, you can't get to them all, but see, that's what I said. It's my superpower because for 25, 30 years I was trapped, um, kind of like in an oral tradition, right? I could only listen, right? I couldn't, uh, couldn't hardly express myself. I couldn't uh, read or write uh, to any degree, certainly not write. I still struggle with that. But uh, once I discovered audiobooks, my world opened up to me. And then so recently I was watching, um, once again, uh, an Oxford-educated individual talking about how he uses audiobooks now that he's busy, right? 
So, I mean, it's only taken, what, 30 years for uh, this to become uh, commonplace? <laughs> See, because for years I had to keep my commonplace book in my brain. But what I didn't realize is that's why I've been able to integrate all of this stuff so well. Why I can listen to beautiful poetry, unlike when I was young. I don't have to listen to it 15 times to get the message. Now I pretty much figure it out almost immediately. So, I chuckled this morning when they mentioned um, that Harold Bloom or H.L. Mencken, uh, they were Nietzschean because they would speak truth to power. They would say, hey, this isn't working, but we should do something different here, or our aim is this, and, and we're not achieving it. Uh, whatever it is we're doing as example is actually impinging on the goal. So I don't see that as a Nietzschean. I see that as just being proactive and conscientious, not being unconscious. Uh, right? Uh, gauging whether whether we're doing our best. Right, so what a state we've come. Where absolutely Nietzsche was very bombastic. This is where it comes from. I mean, uh, criticizing uh, these systems of thought and belief because they were simply rules that were followed. They weren't understandings. They weren't beliefs. They weren't, uh, they weren't uh, truths with an asterisk. They were convictions. Convictions worse than lies. Why? Because you can explain to someone how, you know, their lie is harmful and, and incorrect, but somebody holding a conviction is, is holding it emotionally and, and they're almost, almost invariably impossible to convince otherwise. Right? So I guess the final takeaway is Nietzsche. Nietzsche, the, one of the greatest writers uh, the founder of psychology. Do you remember I said that? Uh, probably multiple times in podcasts over the last, what is it, almost six years now. Almost six years. When I began this, I couldn't really write, couldn't use much uh, in the way of, of these computer apps. Right? So I really was appreciative of this Anchor. It's now the Spotify for podcasters. But it was the Anchor app because it allowed me to just press, press a big red button, talk, talk away, um, and then upload it, right? Because I don't do scripting, uh, right? I, I really should do scripting, but I mean, I find that so limiting because then instead of trying to find these answers and understand our world, right? Wissenschaft or Rerum uh, Natura, right? Wissenschaft, the German word for science, but it actually means to come to understand. Science being based on sire, uh, the original Latin word for to come to understand, and Rerum. Natura, which could be translated as the Tao of physics. It just means, and when I say physics, I don't mean the, the actual science. Uh, I mean everything, right? Physics in the sense of everything in the universe. Redum being a, a Latin word for to understand, right? Uh, the workings, the, the system of. And as I said, uh, that's why I say the Tao of physics, because... Um, as Jung said in Axion, or sorry, Ion, uh, he said that the, uh, the Jesuits went to uh, China and they translated the Tao as God. And I said I found that ridiculous because they had, the Jesuits had Lucretius as example and he explained that technically the Tao would be better translated as the Rerum Natura, right? So the, the way of nature, and, and I've told you this before, because technically the Tao, 
uh, is actually the Tao of Heaven, the Tao of Earth, and the Tao of Humanity. Right? So if you look at this, and it's a trinity, I make a joke that imagine the Jesuits missing that, that little uh, tidbit. But even Jung mentions, uh, mentions later that uh, right, we all know that the light's found in the dark, which is uh, Lucretius again, right? Omnis cum tenebris. I know, I say it like uh, I'm speaking uh, Dothraki or something, but it's just like, like my, uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, John McWhorter, uh, he jokes, he, he's got a certain accent when he, he speaks his Italian, and you know, I think it has to do with passion. It goes back to the original uh, Greek, passion was something that you had uh, great commitment to and, and uh, devotion to, right? Right, so making it fun uh, increases the passion, right? And I think that's what we've come to miss, right? There's so many of these. I guess the last thing I want to mention is what shocked me is um, H.L. Mencken had this, uh, had this belief. Uh, he felt he was like me, uh, a die-hard agnostic, right? So he says, because he's a third-generation agnostic. His father was agnostic and his grandfather was agnostic also. He thinks that is what endowed him with no, no animosity towards religion and no animosity towards believers. Right? And I'm the same. I have no animosity towards believers. I've, I've developed a little bit of hesitancy to support non-believers because they tend to be so toxic both for themselves and, and for others and the discussion. But I still keep an open mind because many people call themselves an atheist, as I used to, a theist. Um, but because of the, uh, the connected toxicity, I've, uh, I've begun to not, um, you know, I mean, it's too confusing for many people, right? Um, because uh, technically, I guess, agnostic would be a better term. But everything is just so... Whew, that's even become toxified since uh, Mencken's days. But... He felt that um, he had uh, an open mind towards religion, towards faith, towards uh, the path that, that people follow, whatever they want to believe. They had every right to because of being a third generation agnostic. But I kind of chuckle uh, because if you've heard me talk about this, I'm in the same boat. I have no animosity towards uh, religions. In fact, I'm in the camp of Spinoza or, or uh, Vivekananda. And I feel that uh, all religions are true if they're followed with uh, faith, right? Which is uh, commitment, confidence, and devotion, right? Uh, as Martin Buber said, uh, you, ca you cannot discover who your eye is uh, without the other. So you can't, uh, you can't develop an identity based on, uh, on a truth, again with an asterisk, a truth that is, uh, you know, at the expense of any other, right? It has to be a balance, right? So, I'm the same, but I'm not a third-generation agnostic. Uh, the difference is, is my father was Roman Catholic, my mother was Baptist, I was baptized as an Anglican, which is essentially like, yeah, I'm kidding here, but in Canada, it's essentially like, yeah, you know, we'd be ostracized if we didn't show some sort of sense of faith. Um, so, we'll go the... I call it the Madhyamakan of, of uh, Western uh, Christian uh, thought, right? Anglican, because they're kind of in between the Protestants and the Catholics. And, and honestly, it's beautiful because in the end, 
that is exactly where I am because I don't really don't see that either of them are wrong. I think most of the uh, the misunderstandings and the miscommunications and and the uh, the animosity between most of these uh, systems um, are honestly just a miscommunication. I mean, the example I've given personally is when I was uh, when I was at uh, the museum. Uh, it's a, a stupa. And I had uh, a very famous um, uh, practitioner of, uh, well, uh, follower of Krishna. And um, he came in by himself, his helper just let him in. And, and uh, you know, I, I let him just wander around, but he wanted to chat. He's like, hey, well, why don't you come around with me? And so I loved what he did because he made me realize how arguably toxic Buddhism the self is. Right? Again, I'm mostly self-taught, but even then, I always misunderstood this little tidbit that is deathly important to the understanding. Right? What is the nature of self? So if the self is a construct, what is it that, that propels us, as Schopenhauer or, or Nietzsche would say? Right? This will that propels it. Well, what is this based on? If it's all of a construct then what would you consider the, the, the divinity, whatever it may be, that, that uh, gives us our spark of creativity, of, of humanity? So in Buddhism, we won't say Atman. Right? The Atman's not the same as in, in say, a follower of Krishna or Shaiva, Shaivism. Shiva. It's weird, eh? It's Shiva, but it's Shaivism. But... The Atman to them is existent, but it's not a personal self. I, I, the way I, I liken it is, um, you're a vessel, like a glass. That's what you are. But you're not functional, like a glass, until you're filled with a beverage. Right? Serving your purpose. So you take from the reservoir of water, fill your glass you develop this weird sense that, hey, that's me, that's my water, that's me, that's mine. When in reality, what is technically you is just the empty vessel, not the water. The water is the same thing that everyone else shares. Because you can experience this by simply dumping the water back into the reservoir. And once again, it mixes and it all becomes one. And you take another glass of water and once again, for some reason, lesson not learned, we still believe that that, not the glass, but the water as well, is ours, is us. And, and I remember this because it goes back to Christianity. There's a, a Greek expression called uh, kenosis. And it's just like the glass of water. Right? Kenosis is to empty oneself of your individual selfish ego self. And in Christianity, it's to fill oneself up with this, uh, with Christ aspect, or the Christos, the Anointed One, uh, a Bodhisattva, a saint, uh, uh, a mensch, uh, a sattva, whatever you want to call it, somebody who is trying to be their best, better than their previous self, as Hemingway had said. Funny how this resonance, resonance, resonance. 
as I said to the wife, I was reading, I think it's Matthew, the Beatitudes. Right? If you just change a couple of the words, what you have there is the Bodhisattva vow. What you have there is, right, Shaivism or Vedanta. Right? So, for me, all these religions are true because, like I said before, I started my life, when I first started uh, learning how to think and read, it was a Time Life series, I think, is probably the earliest. And it was called, like, The Mysteries of the Universe. And what I loved about it is it had tons of pictures with short little captions so I could get the whole picture. And then uh, after I started going through these, reading the captions, reading the pictures, then I could read little little tiny little articles uh, explanatory on different subjects. So that's led me to this perspective of being an Nietzschean, right? Being a, a Socratic um, philosopher, right? I love wisdom. I treated these mysteries as, you know, a challenge to solve, to understand. And, you know, spoiler, yeah, a lot of them are solvable. There's no for sure. This is a tetralemma, right? The answer may be A, maybe B, maybe A and B. It may be that we don't have the right question or may not be able to understand the answer. But that being said, you could still come to an understanding. And I love that because that's what Harold Bloom explained, is that aesthetics goes back to a Greek word that actually means not that, uh, it's not that dissimilar from, from Nietzsche's word schatzen, right? Value, uh, meaning, creation, right? Everything is like Jung. Jung talks about uh, synchronicity, but this is why aesthetics was so uh, important to Nietzsche and why language is so important and why I think an annotated version of Nietzsche's work is required because it was play on language, sure, but the fact that we've forgotten that aesthetics means something in his mind, as I've explained with his Ubermensch. But anyways, my, my point was is I chuckled because H.L. Mencken uh, suggested it took three generations of agnosticism. Again, these are people who are doubtful. They're, they're open. Um, and I find that uh, a little absurd because uh, I'm a first-generation agnostic because I believe both my parents were a little toxified by organized religion, obviously. Uh, and I, I see the beauty in it. And I don't believe that you have to believe in any uh, sky god. I don't believe... You have to, uh, again, I'm listening to Walt Whitman. I'm looking forward to him to talk about this same idea. Um, right? Uh, I, I liken it to two big things. Uh, Schopenhauer's, or Spinoza, sorry. Yeah, Spinoza's God is no different than when Carl uh, Sagan was asked if he believed in God. His answer was beautiful. What is your definition of God? I can't answer that question because... If your God is some sort of judgmental, uh, Old Testament, wrathful God, then no, I don't. If it's the deification of Christ and, and uh, you know, uh, sola sit scriptura, uh, that I must believe absolute, I can't have any doubts, then no, I don't. But if I can believe of the Gnostics or uh, the secret doctrines of John or the Gospel of Thomas... If I can believe in, in compassion as my faith, as it says in Corinthians, right? Faith, hope, and love, or charity. That's compassion. It's the Brahma-Viharas. The Beatitudes are the Brahma-Viharas of, of karuna, of compassion, and, 
and uh, and uh, empathetic joy and uh, loving kindness and equanimity, right? Uh, oneness, this wholeness, right? That's 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 to me. It speaks speaks to the same truth. And I'm only a first generation agnostic. I mean, I like many began as an atheist, so I don't suggest that we're toxic to all atheists. You do have to be careful because some people are stupid and that's not an insult. Uh, the original Latin just means they're, they're either uh, unable to understand or unwilling to understand. Like they're, they're either stubborn or they're um, stupefied. Uh, either which, uh, in either case, you can't force that on them just like uh, all of these teachings are that you have to allow them to come uh, to the light themselves, right? Uh, sure, something external can spark uh, some passion, but no true insight comes uh, uh, from anywhere but within, right? So, uh, yeah. Aesthetics. Find your value and your meaning.